Hello folks, welcome to the all-time best music show, Big Ads is my name, this is my own personal walk down musical memory lane. And uh, in this episode, well look, I've talked before about uh, my love of glam metal, I think I've talked before in previous episodes about Motley Crue being my first ever concert, and in, in the 80s I, I fell in love with glam metal, I can still remember probably 86, 87, seeing Bon Jovi for the first time on a TV show called Video Hits. But I, I'm talking about glam metal because I just recently watched a doc, three-part documentary series on Paramount Plus called I Want to Rock, and it's about the the rise and fall of uh, glam metal, hair metal, LA metal, cock rock, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I used to just call it glam metal, hair metal. Um, in fact, when I make um, files on my computer or mix CDs because I'm a little bit old school like that, uh, certainly <laughs> usually label them hair metal. And I had a sort of a unique perspective on this from a couple of um, points of view. Like, so number one here in Australia, I guess we weren't as exposed to as much of that music as uh, perhaps in the United States. Like, I have uh, friends that were uh, grew up in that era who lived in the US, who obviously were exposed to uh, a much broader spectrum of of hair metal bands, and we were. Here in Australia, you, you kind of had to go looking for the hair metal, and really, because it's easy to forget that we didn't have the instantaneous access to music, and we didn't have the broad spectrum access to music that you have now. So we would no YouTube, no Spotify, nothing like that. So you were really limited to it, either what you would listen to on the radio, see in the TV, or be able to access in the record stores. And there was a lot of stuff that, if you wanted to access it, it was often import. Um, which was sometimes prohibitively expensive. So really when it came to hair metal, it was only the bands that really became extremely commercially successful and viable that we got exposed to. So bands like Bon Jovi and Molly Crew, Poison, Warrant, Skid Row. Uh, Aerosmith came through in that late... Like they had a resurgence in the late 80s, but they were very much a, a late 70s, early 80s band. And I, I think just kind of got lumped into hair metal. As did a band like Kiss. Kiss, obviously, very active in the 70s as well. But we're, we're sort of lumped into that genre. Um, and then there were the lesser-known bands, bands like Striper and Cinderella, uh, Winger, Queen's Rise. Um, who else? Uh, some of the good girl bands like Vixen, who we didn't... I mean, if you went into the to the news agents and you had a good news agents it had a really good selection of magazines you could get metal magazines from the US and you would see them in that we had hot metal here in Australia which tried to give you as much access as possible but a hot metal obviously also didn't just go with uh, 80s like with hair metal it was also went with heavier stuff and and Australian stuff so um, you, you gotta you, if you were looking for particularly hair metal you you didn't get access to that but um hair metal for, you know was certainly popular but we didn't have the the exposure to it that they did in the states the other perspective unique perspective i have is that many people believe that uh hair metal was killed by grunge now in this particular documentary so i've read the long breath there in this documentary, Ricky Rachman, who used to host a TV show called Headbangers Ball on MTV, 
uh, theorised that hair metal wasn't killed by grunge, it was killed by Garth Brooks, and I disagree with Ricky wholeheartedly here. Uh, Garth Brooks, I don't think, had the impact, singularly uh, enough of an impact to to kill off hair metal. I, I definitely think hair metal was dying, as I said, and I think we were starting to see a, a dilution of hair metal, and what I mean by that is, when you saw, well, Guns N' Roses is another band I didn't mention before, that were certainly in that LA glam scene, but were grittier and harder, uh, Skid Row, their music was a little bit, a little bit darker as well, songs like 18 and Life and Youth Gone Wild, uh, if you listen to their second album, Slave to the Grind, which in my opinion, is one of the most underrated musical albums of all time, You'd certainly hear a very, very good band, a very good rock band who didn't deserve to be killed off the way they did by by grunge. But you also had a bunch of bands that were just like bands like Extreme and Firehouse that were they weren't hair metal. Um, they didn't have the the credibility. They didn't have that. You, you got the sense like when Motley Crue was singing about the various strip clubs that they're visited in in it in the, across the world in girls 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 you knew that they had visited those strip clubs you knew that they had raised telling those strip clubs that lifestyle that they were singing about you knew that they had experienced that lifestyle and these later bands they just it was it was pop music and there were people that were trying to be Stars rather than be musicians Some of the hair metal bands saw this coming um, Motley Crue when they parted ways with Vince Neil Very briefly in the 90s Released an album called Motley Crue Which was as grunge sounding album As you'd ever like to find in the hair metal category uh, Poison was already starting to position itself As a, as a bit more of a serious band Um their follow-up to one of my favourite albums of all time, Open Up and Sour, their follow-up to that was Flesh and Blood, and it was a much more blues-based, uh, subdued album, not as much partying and sex and drugs and rock and roll, um, more very serious messages and, and Brett trying to be a, a, a you know um, a serious lyricist. And But I think, I think overall every... Every musical genre has a has a life expectancy, and I think every, you know every sort of eight to ten years, or at least we used to. Every eight to ten years, we go looking for new things. So if you sort of look in the fifties, we had sort of fifties pop and fifties rock. The sixties, we, we we experienced sort of folk music, and and that went through from sort of say the mid sixties through the mid seventies. Um, the seventies were were punk rock and disco. Uh, and I mean, disco was never going to last forever. And then, of course, the eighties were uh, late seventies, early eighties were rap and 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 hair metal. Now, rap has um, continued to grow and evolve and change, and it's its own musical force. But hair metal was representative of the excess of the eighties, and um, there was a hell of a lot of people that didn't feel that way. And going back to Ricky Rockman's comments. Kids weren't listening to Garth Brooks When I say kids I mean like 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds 
they weren't listening to Garth Brooks. They were listening to Motley Crue and Poison and all of those bands. But they grew up, and they 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 got to. 21, 22, 23, 24, and realised this lifestyle that the hair metal heroes had postulated, had, had, had pontif- pontificated about, it wasn't achievable. They weren't going to get that. They weren't going to rock and roll all night or party every day. They weren't going to have nothing but a good time. Um, their mamas didn't dance and their daddies didn't rock and roll and neither did they. Um, in, they lived life. It was routine and boring and and they grinded and they paid bills and they had jobs that they hated and then grunge came along and talked about all of that and they related to it and we needed a new musical style now ultimately grunge went the way of hair metal exactly the same thing that happened this this handful of hair metal people broke through and the record company people went out and looked for every hair metal band they could find that sounded like every other hair metal band that was out there and tried to get as many hits as possible. And it again, it crushed itself. And the it, same thing happened with grunge or alternative music. Let's just broaden the horizon. Every alternative musical act that has ever stepped on a stage got a record deal by the sounds of things. Some of them missed out. Like the Pixies, they, they I think they just missed out on that wave. But it was like they went to Seattle and they just found everybody. Some of them were good, like Soundgarden and and Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, obviously, Nirvana. You had Mudhoney, which I think were a very underrated band, but they were not as commercially successful. But then we got just the dilution of alternative rock. And basically, if you sung about emotions and you looked a little bit grungy, you got a record deal. If Kurt Cobain mentioned your name in an um, interview, you got a record deal. And all of a sudden, grunge kind of died as well. Um, and some would argue when Kurt killed himself, grunge literally died. Did grunge kill hair metal? Absolutely it did. There's no doubt about it. But um, was grunge ready to go? Yeah, it probably was. Anyway, those are just my thoughts. Uh, if you disagree or agree, that's great. Pop your comments in the... Uh, uh, well, give me your thoughts in the comments, I should say, on the Facebook post associated with this. But uh, in the meantime, thank you for indulging me, and we'll see you next time on the All Time Best Music Show. <laughs>